Welcome to Cartoonist Kayfabe. My name is Ed Piscor. I'm Jim Rugg. I'm Warren Bernard. And uh, today we're going to do a big vid on Windsor McKay, Little Nemo specifically, and uh, his career overview in general. And we have, uh, since Uncle Warren's here, we have a bunch of original materials uh, to show off. Some stuff is uh, well over 100 years of age. But before we really get into things, I want to invite you uh, kayfabe audience members to like subscribe and follow to the YouTube uh, channel hit the bell icon so that we can notify you when new vids are available that mitigates the kayfabe effect uh, whenever we put a video out talk about something those books fly off the shelves uh, digitally and uh, in your local comic shop so first dibs go to the people who are subscribed to the channel and if you watch these videos to the end that gooses the algorithm and pushes our video content out to other YouTube comic book lovers who don't yet know very much about the Cartoonist Kayfabe channel. Helps the channel grow, helps the uh, audience grow, and uh, makes us all happy. So without further ado, Uncle Warren. Yes. Th thanks for coming by, sir, and thank you for bringing 100-plus-year-old Sunday strips Well, right let's here. see. 114 and 115 years old, but who's counting? Amazing. <laughs> and not only that, but, like, this is the pedigree. Right, yes, yeah, yeah. So this is from the New York Herald. I, uh... A uh, quick story, uh, there was a, uh, an ad, this is sometime in the 1980s, there was an ad in the old um, comic buyer's guide, for sale, half years, Little Nemo in Slumberland, and I wasn't doing much collecting, but I saw this and I was like, boom, I'm up in this, that was Tuesday, I saw it, Saturday, I'm up in this guy's apartment, okay. <laughs> and, what, 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 what does this stuff cost in, like, what was it, the 90s? This was the 90s, and, and back then I paid the outrageous, and I'm talking about outrageous price of $13 a piece. Nice. Okay, and I got 90 of them. So I've got um, 1905, I didn't bring the first one, so I've got the first one. I've got um, all of 1907 and half of 1908. When you say a piece, is it per strip or per half year? Uh, per half year, they were, about, they were about $500. That's okay. <laughs> All right, and and by the way, that that was a lot of money sure. for me back then. This was like 1984, 1985, and it was like, oh my god, a thousand dollars for this shit. So. Um my, my big regret was he had all of them except for 12. They were in a big stack in the middle of his living room, okay? And I, I spent the afternoon leaping through all of them. Which half years was I going to get? Was he a real old guy? No, no, no. He was, uh, 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 actually, his guy's name, the guy's name was Mike Barson. He did a whole bunch of pop culture books on comics and stuff like that. And he found the bound volumes of the New York Herald somewhere in wow. New York. And so this is the home newspaper. And this is where McKay would go down into the print room and work with the guys on the inks. I mean, it's gorgeous stuff, and it's so subtle. Uh, it makes perfect sense that he's working in in the actual print room because there's watercolor. Like he could be adding little extra bits, man, on those color sets. Oh yeah. Because this is yeah, it's phenomenal. Attention to detail. This is TLC, tender love and care, man. In in the washes on this. Yeah, it's um. It's, and, it's, and by the way, look at that yellow. Okay, I you know it never ceases to amaze me how great the printing was because these were high-speed rotary presses yeah and think about trying to get anywhere near this today oh yeah of course it, it just it just it just wouldn't happen plus look at the blacks this is another thing look at the precision of the blacks yeah really tight like rather than look at that you want to look at like the precise yes. i was going to say the, the registration registration right where you see like the windows cut out and it's perfect yeah and you know just imagine drawing that many fucking windows okay yeah. i mean look at this it's unbelievable what what he went into the sunday strips were very 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 important to like the first gen of uh, comic book artists and at the Kubert school uh, joe Kubert had 
uh, Winsor McKay originals, some of his editorials and right. uh, a little Nemo page or two. These things uh, were drawn, I feel like, more than twice up. They they More were the they were they his. were yeah they, they were about twice up because I, I a friend of mine actually has a full page and there and it is about twice up, um, and uh, uh, th this was there were all kinds of people that were influenced by this Maurice Sendak as just one example hugely influenced by Winsor McKay yeah okay so it wasn't confined just to comics that people people saw this stuff. So, and, um, and th this is one of my, I just wanted to go, go through this one in particular. One of the reasons why I got 1908 was, was because of this particular strip. Because I just loved it that they're out in the garden. And the garden's growing, but the vegetables, so, so this is one of the things that, which by the way, Harriman wound up doing in Crazy Cat, was he would change stuff up. So they're just standing there, and yet the kinds of vegetables besides them are changing. Okay. It's perfect for as a they, dreamscape as, kind as, of world. You know, they, they mm -hmm. kind of take a couple of steps, take a couple of steps, take a couple of steps, and this thing is growing all over them. And then when I saw this, I love berries, okay? Blackberries and raspberries. And so I, I just... They anyway. do look delicious, don't they? Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, it's a tribute also to the printing technology that they had back then. And, and there's lots of stuff. Maybe in a future kayfabe, I'll just bring some really cool, amazingly printed material that people see that, you know... Putting ink on paper, there was a lot to be said for that on on rotary presses. You know, you know, there, there's like a certain kind of restraint also that we see here that uh, in the kind of real garish days, you can't call this garish. In the garish days of like comic books, it was about primary colors, hundred percent values and stuff. He's using like twenty five percent type values, yeah. like super light pastel washes, right, for his stuff. He's not screaming in your face with the color. And you can see it because in the logo, you have your saturated yeah. colors. Well, and, and also, it, it says a lot about how much work they're willing to put into this. And by the way, because comics are printed once a month, okay? These were printed once a week, and yet look at the colors they were putting into once-a-week comics. I mean, just, just a level of craft, period. Uh, Jimmy, you think you could do this once a week? Man, not even close. How well, would you how would you even break down your steps, man? Is this, is this, is this a day's work? You know, this is a day's work. This is a day's work, and then and and, and by the way, on on this one, okay, climbing through. This is part of a seven week series that he yeah. did, where it starts out running through. The, he was being they were being chased through the forest. They go through the city. Then the city catches on fire. This is whole sequence. We could do a show just on that. Yeah. Okay, to show people that, and when you lay it out. It's unbelievable. Yeah. Okay. I love the uh, he and and McKay is good for this. You could see it in all the figures, man. Bold outline, mm -hmm. and then uh, thin inner lines like that. And uh, sharp hand drawn lines. You know, it looks yes. like he had ruled out perspective. Probably, I I, I assume. Maybe even in pencil, he did it all. But if you uh, look with close, straight edges, as straight as these lines all look, they're hand drawn. They're yeah. hand drawn, right? Yeah, exactly, exactly. Let's get a real thing. life. We got yeah. a lot lot of stuff here. All right, right. so. So th these two, you know, don't get me wrong, I love them, but the one that everybody wants to see is this one, Walking Bed. There it is, man. Iconic. Okay. So cool. All right, so, um, by the way, you know who owns the original to this? Spiegelman? Gary Trudeau. Ah, uh, those Yale guys. All right. You so, gotta be in a Skull and Crossbones club to, <laughs> to, to be able to get a page like this. So he apparently bought it, you know, because he had Doonesbury money going back into the 70s. He apparently bought it in the 70s. And when they had the Masters of the Comic Art exhibit a number of years ago, this was in the first 
exhibit. So Trudeau lent it. And he put it in this huge Baroque frame that the frame must have been, you know, 10 inches wide, super gilt, super ornate. And there was this original, That's which, I ne- which I never thought I'd see. Jimmy, take a, take a look at uh, using just the plates to give you the stripes on the boy's outfit and the polka dots yeah. there and look at the light. I don't know if that's a function of off registration or if he's using color to show you that moonlight. It looks like it looks like moon it looks like he's doing the lighting trick cuz you can see it on pillows, you can see it on legs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, Absolutely. he's doing like that halo for for that light effect. You know, you mentioned printing a minute ago. It was such a craft. Yeah. Like those guys yeah. were craftsmen. Like yeah. they were trades. Yeah, and, yeah. and you know, it shows like you don't do this uh you know, with just some some guy off the street. Like. The the old veterans would say like, if you uh, go to a print facility and if the guy running the presses, if he's not missing a couple of fingers, that means he does not have experience. <laughs> Look at this dude like floating into the next panel. Yes, yeah. He yeah. does that a couple times. Kind of keeps a little gestalt. Even just from a drawing sense, you know, we talk about all the perspective of these straight edges on buildings to then bring in your curved lines. It's just it's gorgeous as just lines. That's yeah. That's that's no French curve that's going to be able to hit that when you get yes. twice up, man. Yeah. No. Th- th- this was this was all hand done. He was he was that good, and it's um, uh, as you can tell, it's very difficult to see it, you know, on a YouTube video, but when you stand in front of it, it's fucking great. Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. There's so much power in front of it, and you can see the escalation too. You know, it's the the legs are just they're still almost straight as it's starting to walk and you get a little bit more of your curves yeah. as it goes on and by the end they're just spaghetti it's just they're flying <laughs> yeah. around everywhere it's it's plus to me this is a nice touch over the over the steeple mm-hmm. okay the 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 way it's wrapped all around so it so it trips okay just anyway it's a it's a tour de force there's a reason why this is so influential there's a reason why so many people look at it there's a reason why so many people love to see it um i had some um uh, foreign um, creators come to my house for Small Press Expo and I broke out this stuff and one of the people said do you have the walking bed and I was like yes I do and she was like oh my god I never thought I'd ever see this I've been teaching about this in my class can I hold it and you said fuck no what are you talking <laughs> about man <laughs> no no so so held it I said you want to take a picture yes yeah, she put a picture up you know she put my name in and then some some tech bro sends me a Facebook message how much do you want for it? Oh, man, he's cashing okay. in on his Bitcoins. Yeah, well, fuck him. <laughs> so uh, so it has stayed with me ever since. So th- this is this is one of the highlights of the comic strip era. You know, something worth noting, and this comes up in conversation every now and then with us, is like you put in your 10,000 hours practice, you achieve your mastery, all that kind of stuff. Little Nemo in Slumberland, this is not his first go at it. You know, there was stuff like Dream of the Rare Bit Fiend, and, yeah, and, we'll you, and you have that. some yeah. of that. Yeah, yeah. Cartoonist Kayfabe is brought to you by the comic books that we make. Ed Piskor and Jim Rugg are Eisner Award-winning cartoonists who are applying all of the stuff that they're learning from the comics they check out on Cartoonist Kayfabe to their own craft. Uh, Right now, today, uh, the new works by me, Ed Piskor, are uh, the Red Room series of comics. The Antisocial Network is a trade paperback that collects the 2021 season of Red Room material. Murder on the Dark Web for Fun and Profit is the name of the game in the Red Room series. And the current season of comics is called Trigger Warnings. In March, uh, the Red Room Trigger Warnings issue number one saw the light of day. Uh, Every issue is completely self-contained. 
and forthcoming on a monthly basis will be further issues. This is the cover you want to look for uh, when you hit the comic book shops in April. You could see due to paper shortages and print delays, we were not allowed to uh, change our files. So disregard that January uh, statement right there. April comes, Red Room Trigger Warnings, issue number two. Uh, in the bibliography, Rising Tide Raises All Ships, here are some other books in my bibliography that you could get your hands on that are still in print. WYSIWYG, Portrait of a Serial Hacker. X-Men Grand Design, three volumes of that. And Hip Hop Family Tree, four volumes of this comic are uh, freshly in print. It's, it was out of print for a little while, but thanks to uh, the cartoonist Kayfabe audience, we rushed this sucker back to print. Coming March 30th, uh, Hulk Grand Design Monster, and in April, Hulk Grand Design Madness, where Jimmy is taking the entire history of the Incredible Hulk and distilling it down into two 40-page volumes of Grand Design comics. These are some of the other variant comic covers that you're going to be able to find on the racks. The Ed Piscor variant, Peach Momoko, Marcos Martin for that first issue of Hulk Grand Design. And for Madness, got that Jeff Darrow cover, Ed McGinnis. The books that Jim has currently in print, Plain Janes and Street Angel, Deadliest Girl Alive. Uh, scoop these comics up. We love seeing these numbers rise on the Amazon rankings and we love hearing from the publishers that we have to go back to press. Now that we're done paying the bills, back to the video. Back. Yes, we're back. So um, one of the things that did happen early on was that Windsor McKay had some reprint books done. This is this is key because uh, these, these comics were are legendary like people know the the walking bed and and uh all, all of the, the the classic strips so the question is like how did these things have any kind of life after the week they showed up in the, in the newspaper so this is a great document to show off super early reprint books do you know what year this is from this is 1909 there were two of them there was one done in 1906 and there's one done in 1909 i, I brought this one because the other one's actually really super fragile as opposed to just fragile um and, you know, these are Platinum Age books. People can go ahead and watch the, the show that we did on Platinum Age um, last year. And these are, these are super rare. I've only seen a couple of copies in like 35 years or something like that. And just as a little thrill, I wanted to show everybody, because we just saw what the printed page looked like in the newspaper. And this... Yeah, so obviously this the format of this is different than those big pages, so it'll be fun to see how they, how they sort of chop up. Well, and so... There's that. And what they did was, is they basically used the same plates and just cut it in half. Okay. So, and look at the richness of the colors. If you, if you look at the back, you can actually see the black plate being like pressed down on the piece it. of paper. You know, uh, we were uh, looking at these video, we're, we're looking at this book, Eisner Miller, and Will Eisner's talking about the early days of his comics. He said that uh, his stuff was printed by way of letterpress. Mm -hmm. So, so this makes me wonder if you know, looking at how the ink is pressed into the paper, is this a letterpress? Uh, I don't know one way or the other. All I can tell you is, is, is the colors on here because it's a different paper with longer press time. You know, so so the the strike on the paper was much longer on this than through the high speed rotary presses, and the richness of the colors that came out in this were just unbelievable along with these blacks are even blacker yeah yeah because, much they, as black because as you, you can also feel the quality of you know this is this paper was probably another 50 percent thicker than newsprint 
it's phenomenal the detail that you can see even yeah. in the dots for the uh where the colors are blending and stuff they're so crisp compared to that newspaper printing style yeah so so this is the finest printing that was ever done and pete moresk and i've talked about this don't get me wrong pete's done a fantastic job he never and who, I asked who, him, who who is Pete? Oh, Pete Maresca did Sunday Press books. He did the very large Little Nemo reprints. He's done reprints of uh, uh, Crazy Cat, Gasoline Alley, uh, a whole bunch of others. Check his stuff out. Sunday Sunday Press books. The books are phenomenal. And I talked to him about this. He was like, you know, Warren, there was like no way. First of all, I couldn't find all of the pages like this. Okay, so this is only a very small subset of the pages that were done, and. He, he was going to have a difficult time trying to reproduce this in a modern-day book. Yeah. Okay. That's and, interesting to think of how, that, how we lose that. Because, you know, everybody thinks progress. But, yeah. like, some of the stuff you just can't, it can't be reproduced. So, one of my fave pages ever. This is one of the great strips. Yeah, this, I, I, I post it every New Year's. Yeah. So, so and I have the Sunday page. Okay. I, I didn't bring it, but I do have the Sunday page. And let me tell you, this is printed, like, a thousand times. But the Sunday page looks great. But then when you see this, you're like, oh. Yeah. Great body language. Yes. You know, we often talk about how many copies books sell. Any idea what, like, a Sunday page, because it would have been circulating through many big cities, like tens of millions of copies well, of these things. Yeah, the, the, the Sunday pages, um, I, you know, I was stupid. I did not go, because they actually have books that have the circulation figures for the newspapers back then, and I didn't do it for the Herald okay back then so Pete, i don't know what the exact number people is. in the audience uh that will jeet here yes <laughs> uncle, uncle, uncle jeet what, what were the circulation numbers also another thing i'm curious about is what the retail cost of this would have been at that time you know pre-comic books this is lush color printing yeah that is not something that happened often it's so interesting too how like is it the limits of print technology at the time where you you don't get printing on like that side of the page it's, it saturates the paper too much or something yeah and, and like i say because you, you as you can see it's a little more difficult uh, well you can see it right here you can see the outline yeah okay and, and you feel a little braille you feel a little yeah exactly bump. and so so anyway it's this next page that you get you get the real feel man look at that color as okay. when wow. you look at it see I'll, I'll i'll say this like it gets lost chopping it in half because yes. when you see that when you see the color blend Roy G Biv yes uh, right. to this like hot yellow as a unit as a Sunday page right uh, like that that's that's really something special yeah it, it and like I said the Sunday page is is spectacular and so the people can see yeah you you get to you, you get this idea that that the greens are carried over into the earth itself and then the transition is made into the sky. There's so much genius. Like even the snow is like your white. It's almost a, an extra gutter separating that top tier as you get like the green gets smaller and yeah, smaller. Sure. Yes, right. Exactly. exactly. But it's also interesting how well, like if these were printed horizontally, it would be a pretty good effect. If like that a long page strip. Right. Yeah. And it makes me think like he's, it seems like he's conscious of this page design. And it might be the fool in the newspaper that those guys were aware of. Well, I, I wonder if it's, if it's, uh, I mean, this is twice up from something that's already very, very big. Yeah. You can't just lean forward right. and, and draw all day. <laughs> so maybe he was drawing in, in kind of like half it's page possible. chunks, like I, on I, a I hinge or yeah. something. Yeah, like yeah, Chris Ware so. doing that. Yeah, Klaus. Well, and um, uh, and the other thing is, is that these were really well done for their day, and the printing that they used. 
a lot of papers weren't this sophisticated in their printing. No, yeah, sure. Okay, so the Herald was kind of, you know, it was one of the top papers in the United States at the time, and they had money to throw into the, into the, into the real stuff. So, and there are other papers carried this, but of course it was nowhere near what the New York Herald would have had in terms of color because, once again, they were working directly with McKay, who was saying, okay, look, here's the color I want on this one. And, and he, he reaches a period of time that comes later where it becomes kind of spot-colored. There, there would just yes. be some strips are blue, some strips are pink. Right. Uh, using right. just like one, one uh, kind of wash. Right, but, but, you know, just look at this page. Just, just imagine the, the poor guys in the ink room. Okay, look, this is what I want, okay? I want this gradual move yeah okay from this it's real fascinating to see how they they pull it off yeah too. okay so you start out with these like dark you know blues indigos and stuff like that and you kind of you know you keep moving and it gets redder and redder and then all of a sudden you start bringing in the yellow and it gets orange and then you get and you know i don't know they couldn't print this today in the washington post okay you know they, they couldn't pull something like this off yeah so, uh, like I said, so, so there's another one of these. Maybe one day I'll, I'll bring the other one. And then I was, like, showing this Christmas one. This is another classic. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, look, look at this. Thomas Nast already established or uh, what we know to be as, as Santa Claus. Coca-Cola came out. Coca-Cola came out, and right. did their ads. So, right, yeah. you know, this is a piece of pop culture right here. Yeah, absolutely. And and by the way, this is very Thomas Nastian in terms because... I, th I yeah. think of Nast when... when uh, we'll, we'll take a look at some of his editorial... Winter McKay's editorial work, and it has the established nest right. crosshatch in there. Right, and um, just gorgeous, man. Yeah, right. This is Winsor McKay as the Christmas gift. You know what's to interesting the is uh, we're looking at the the pure plate, and it's 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 not really magenta. Like I don't know, I don't really see yellow on top of that to make the red. It feels like a red. Yeah, I think it's plate. a red plate. And that that may be part of their part of their secret their was tricks. that was that they actually used different. They didn't do Roy G. Biv and kind right. of mix them together. They was like, well, I need this color plate or that color plate, and all of a sudden things were different. But if, but but just look at look at this and all of the textures and stuff and the different colored fabrics that are in there. Yeah, the textures are are great. Like you see it real well on the on the brick there, where you see just kind of like a speckle. Yeah, exactly. It's it's a tour de force of, of printing and design. And, you know, let me ask you, you two guys, how long would it take you just to do the pen part of this particular? Yeah, that's what I'm saying, man. Like, I don't, I, I, I would love to, uh, to to talk to old, old Uncle Windsor, man, and just, like, see what the division of labor was in a week of, of how this was pulled off. Yeah, it's so intricate. I, I like all these like interior architectural pieces too that give it that period flair. Yeah, yeah. yeah but yeah, you're exactly. right about the detail. You know, it's it's a lot of line work. It's uh, unbelievable. But and, like beyond that, like the like the the just the the underdrawing to build these figures and stuff. Well, and then also you you then layer the fantasy aspects on top of it. Uh, you know, if the dreams are still like very in, interesting you know, to to Windsor McKay. I mean, it's a subject that that he focused on for the you know the bulk of his career. Right. Little Nemo beyond so, and yeah, before. and and to me, so his mind was doing a couple things. One, there was the sheer artistic mastery of drawing this, and then there was the other thing that said, well, okay, how can I utilize that mastery? Because for instance, Franklin Booth was a great 
transmit, sure. but he never did anything like this. Yeah, like like Vision comes into it, right? And, absolutely. And uh, I think it might it might honestly even be the same thing as like Neil Gaiman talks about with with the Sandman. To be honest, where it's like you have this regular schedule. In this case, you have to pump one of these out a week. If you have among all, other things, because this was the only thing he was working sure, on. Sure. Okay. If you have the dreamscape, all bets are off. You could draw whatever. Yeah. Right. Like whatever comes to mind. It's it's sort of it's a good hinge, it's a good hedge against uh, d deadlines. Right, and and then you know think about this whole allegorical thing. You know, normally people would have gone ahead, and you have the little baby of the new year coming in, and the old man kind of walking off to the left. Okay, it's just surreal as fuck. Right, exactly. Like okay, it's, it's, it's and so you know insane. here his time is going. He's starting to slip, and just as he's slipping, here comes the new year. <laughs> yeah, <just> okay, <laughs> it's and the Earth is shrinking and stuff. Look at this. Here I go. Goodbye, Nemo. Good luck and happy New Year. By I'm the, the I'm the new year. I'm little nine oh nine, nineteen oh nine. That is me. <laughs> By the way, that's that's the other thing that we could just like touch on real quick is like yeah. for for all the virtuosity of Windsor McKay. Oh he, yeah, his he, dialogue sucked. Well. Sure, but he never thought to, uh, from what I understand, he put the bubbles in before the lettering, man. Like, uh, those those right. word balloons. Yeah, yeah right. That. Would, that's that's, that's he, hard to believe. It doesn't make any sense. Yeah, it doesn't make any sense whatsoever. And and by the way, you, his... You see, you see right here, man, him, him squeezing the rest yeah, of his Yeah, too many of there. them. <laughs> so, uh... And it makes it very hard. It makes it hard to read. Yes, it does make it hard to read. And and just, uh, yeah, look at this. Princess of Slumberland, and the land is kind of, you know, just... Yeah, he just never thought about that part of it. Yeah. Because, I mean, these are guys inventing the language. Right, right, right. right. And, and, by, and by the way, it also showed how, to a certain degree, how the dialogue really wasn't that critical to him. It's There's the matrix of where cartoonists place their value man and, yeah. and he he's a, he's visual spectacle but but it is super interesting that he's not the only one like uh, comics of this the order of operations wasn't established yet all right so yeah so let's now talk about little nemo as pop culture phenomenon yes okay so over here on our left is little nemo and it says music by victor herbert book by harry smith there was a broadway show Mm. that ran for about four months in New York and then toured the United States for two years. I would love to know how that fit into New York metropolitan culture at the time. Was this considered like a piece of vulgarity? Like oh, real, yes. like real theater people yeah. didn't like... Uh, what was that Wicked Witch of... Uh, you know, you, there was that Wicked Witch Broadway thing that like brought a lot of people to the stage? Yes. I think it was just called Wicked. Wicked. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But like the real theater goers, the New Yorkers are like... Fuck that. Man. Yeah, right. You know I what? I am curious about that because I don't know that this stuff had any stigma against it. You know, it was so broadly appealing that, yeah, maybe it's not high culture exactly, but also it's like universal. Like this would have been the movies. This would have been everything. Well, well it's, it's the universality that makes the exclusionary bougie mm -hmm. people se separate themselves from the masses. But. Right, right, right. And, and so, so this was at the time legitimate theater. It's a good question about how was it received? What did the New York Times, New York Herald have to say about it as a, as a performance and as it went around the United States? I, I don't know. I've, not, I've never seen any reviews of of the show but there's also a lot of different sheet music so this is so this is a selection of sheet music you can also find it find sheet music with the individual titles in it now i'm i'm an obsessive okay i'm not that obsessive okay <laughs> but what's also interesting is is that other people thought to go ahead and do music about little nemo 
And so these are just one-off pop culture Tin Pan Alley songs that were done as a tribute. And by the way, none of these, it says right here, after Windsor McKay. Yeah, yeah, right. yeah, I mean, unmistakable. This this looks McKay-ish. It looks McKay-ish. But it's not. There's the signature but of the this guy. Is, right, exactly. Okay. You know where it falls apart if you look really close at the face? Yes. Right here? <laughs> well, also, that, that face right there is, is not him. And by the way, what's also interesting is, is that this is out of Detroit. Okay, this is New York and Detroit. And, and by the way, I don't know how many more of these are out there. These are the only ones that I've ever seen. But it also, like I said, is a tribute to the fact that in Detroit, they knew about this, and somebody wrote the music. Fascinates me about uh, copyright, because not only is it Little Nemo and his bear, but it's the Wizard of Oz. And I think this is probably early enough that L. Frank Baum could have some stake in uh, Wizard of Oz. I, like, Good I, question. I, I don't know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We, we'd have to go, and let me see if so I... So is this stuff bootleg? Yeah, Da well, Vinci. I, I, don't yeah. Know that it's, I don't know that it's bootleg. Let me see if I can find... Uh, yeah, so this is 1907, okay? This was where is it uh this is 1908 so this is actually before victor herbert's thing came out all right i find it so interesting just thinking about like comics today is the top of pop culture and you have like all the merchandise and licensing like yeah. this is a version of that you yes. know broadway yeah, shows yeah. that traveled the country right. uh, music that's written locally and, and produced in these different markets this is the equivalent of like today's marvel tv and you know all the stuff that they do now yeah man there's a piano in every house Right, right, right. And, and, and oh, by the way, I, I, I want people to uh, understand that, uh, let's just say, sensibilities have changed quite a bit over the last hundred and some odd years. Um, because in here, there is a whole bunch of minstrel songs, yes, okay? <laughs> back, back, back to Baltimore, okay? Nobody see, uh, let me see, um, what was the other one? Uh, Tennessee, uh, won't, you, won't You Fondle Me? Wait a minute, am I reading that? That's what it says. So... When you go through this old stuff, you have to, you know, you have to go ahead and, and have the perspective that it's like, well, you know, this there's some pretty racist fucking shit in this, okay, right. in no in no uncertain terms. But anyway, so different racism too. I saw an Irish song. An Irish, in, in well, there. no, the, the, and by the way, it's that's an interesting point. Circa 1900, if you weren't a white Anglo-Saxon Protestant, they lambasted you, okay. So if you were Catholic, the Irish Catholics got it. Us Jews got it, the blacks got it, okay, the Italians got it, everybody got it back in 1900, all right? Now, it's not saying that anyone was more worse or unworse. There were a few that left around, that were left around, particularly the blacks. You know, they continued to be lambasted well into the 50s, okay, in pop culture. And the Jews kind of faded out after World War One, so they were the second to last one of the ethnic groups to kindly, kindly get broken. So, yes, and by the way, this is not the first. You had the brownies before this um, with a lot of merchandising, okay? So they, they, they promote a whole bunch of different um, uh, uh, products for different, different companies. What's, what's the brownies? Another the brownies strip? was uh, Palmer Cox, okay? It was, it was a strip. It was a series of illustrated books, but they were the first characters in the United States to go ahead and actually have a lot of merchandising. That's with interesting. Them, okay, but before I, I do, that, I do think there was some Mutton Jeff. Yeah, there was Mutton Jeff, but that was a little later than even this. Oh, is it? Yeah, 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 yeah. Because Mutton Jeff didn't come along until like 1907, 1908, and this is this was before that. Um, and then Ali Sloper in England in the 1880s, he had merchandising even predating um, Paul McCox. So by this point, that was already well established. Yes. Okay. Let's take a look All at right? these. Uh... So let, let's. Let's get these out of the way, and 
another piece of uh, pop culture that was was allowed not allowed but was given there was a set of 12 of these postcards and here we just saw oh wait a minute let me there we go the Windsor McKay Studios in full effect, man, getting the job guys to do paintings of the characters. Yeah, so there was a, a set of 12 of these. By the way, you can still find these, and they're not outrageously expensive. They're like 35 bucks a piece. And that means that there must have been tons of there these. Were, that's right. Things. No, there were tons. The, these are not rare in any way, shape, or form. The sheet music is much rarer. The, these things, you, you, can still, you can still find these. It's actually mind-boggling how, how pre prevalent these things are uh, out there. Um, but I, I assembled my set back in the last century so and dude like it's valentine's greetings like i remember having my x-men valentine's for, uh -huh. for uh, <laughs> that's right fifth grade <laughs> yeah so it, you know also well, there's nothing romantic about almost any of these well that one that's the closest yeah that, that's the closest and then let me see was there anything on the on the back of these and it's just you know tuck's postcard and with sometimes and by the way people actually got these you just send it to molly and somehow it would wind up at her house man look at that handwriting oh yeah, yeah sure real penmanship yeah so and then this is another thing uh, nice thing about um miss miss ida peters is there a date on any of those a trademark or a copyright uh, or let me see uh let me see Not uh, it. so a little series postcard number six no no i yeah. asked because it seems so polished like the the licensing department was up and running at this point yes right? yeah, yeah, yeah well also but by, by this point um old Colt had been doing stuff with the yellow kid and buster yeah. brown so there was a lot of pop culture stuff going on that is so sweet that is a little kid man <laughs> yeah exactly so yeah look at the handwriting i mean it's unbelievable it's unbelievable so, that people can read that shit actually <laughs> ready great okay so why don't we take a look at some of the other work that mckay did before he did um little nemo and he did dreams fantastic. of the rare bit fiend which has it's by and by the way th this is the original edition there's like maybe five or six of these out there mm. maybe and this is the original edition it was reprinted by dover in the 1970s and in the beginning it says there were a couple of cartoons that were not reprinted because of shall we say um the way certain groups were portrayed and so there were two of the strips in here that didn't make it into the into the Dover reprint. And this is 1905. This is this is the rarest of the McKay books. Um, I've seen the uh, Little Nemo books come up for sale, you know, every 10 years, something like that. I haven't seen one since I got this 20 years ago, 25 can, years ago. Can you crack open a page or two? Yes, I think I can do that. So why don't we... I love that cover image so much, man. And so, uh, you I can... like seeing this stuff that's like a hundred plus years old, and yet you can still like we haven't changed that much as cartoonists. You right. know, you right. can see the one color line art in in today's books too. So, uh, and and this was all reprinted. Um, so this this first page here with all the text, copyright nineteen five by the New York Evening Telegram, New York Herald. Is Talk this... about the uh, handwriting fans out there? Is that hand lettering? It, it looks yeah, like yeah, hand it lettering. Really does, right? yeah, it's, it's gorgeous. Hand lettering. Yeah, yeah, it's hand lettering. Um, so, and there, and by accident, this is one of the ones they did not reprint in the 1970s. Uh, totally understood why they didn't do it. Look, there's your cover, or that, you know, like the... Yeah, that, that's the inspiration for, that cover. for the cover. So, and as you can see, with uh, Dreams of the Rare Bit Fiend, he was experimenting with this whole dream stuff, and, th that, and that's a whole other... It is so funny how, like, there were, it was gimmick strips, you know, like there's that sneeze one... 
Right. Where the characters is it was that McKay also? Yeah, that, Sammy sneeze. I'll show that in a second. See, yeah. Almost a prototype of your walking bed. You know, yes. the bed is like moving through space. Yeah. It's, so, it, Jimmy, how how often did have you like made a comic and then you look at the final work, the final page, and you're like, if I had it to do over again, here's what I well, would. Well, you've redrawn two two comics that I know of. That's right. And, <laughs> and by the way, this gag right here with Santa Claus turning into an icicle, Windsor McKay reused that in Little Nemo. Okay, yeah. where Little Nemo turned into an icicle on the side of the house. So there's a lot of stuff going on in here where he was, well, he used later. And by the way, you know, I, I couldn't blame him for doing that. No, not at all. It's like yeah. you're, you're perfecting your, your ideas. Right. And so, uh, and, and, you know, and by the way, there's brilliant stuff all through here. Just imagine any of these pages blown up i love these things like anytime he's distorting something or going like cartoony you know stretching stretching the visual of the heads and things like that it right. just it just pops yeah no he was amazing and, and look, wow, at this. look at this right yeah so wild like point of view you know from the grave looking out that's pretty gruesome <laughs> <laughs> sure but very inventive yeah exactly so so there and th this is a whole other amazing world that that he had and these things are these things are also great yeah, these uh, must cer certainly be in some sort of public domain because uh, publishers like Checker, which makes some of the shittiest yeah, books ever right, uh, right. They, published they, they in the did, past 25 yeah. years, would do their version of this. Well, there, there are like at least eight or ten Checker volumes out there of reprinted Winsor McKay stuff that was in public domain. So, um, and you know, here's here's one tilting over the Flatiron Building. That poor Flatiron Building gets okay. it, man. Sitting on the Brooklyn Bridge. You know, coochie cooing the uh, Statue of Liberty, knocking over a bunch of buildings. I mean, that you know. And then what's this? He's waking up in a drunk tank. <laughs> well, I, I love this one where he's pulling the uh, uh, pulling the subway out of the ground. Okay. Yeah, man. Jeff Darrow uh, used that in Rusty Big Guy, Big Guy and Rusty the Boy Robot. So, Dreams of the Rare Bit Fiend. If if Alan you... Moore with a cameo. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, this stuff was just as inventive as Little Nemo. It wasn't given the big broadsheet review that um, uh, that Little Nemo got, but there's some amazing stuff in here. And then someone did some sheet music. And by the way, this is the rarest of all of the sheet music, dedicated to Windsor McKay. And you actually, this is the only place where, one of the few places where we actually see a picture of Windsor McKay. Dapper dude. It almost right. rivals that photo with Floyd Godfordson and uh, Carl Barks standing in front of the Rolls Royces. <laughs> oh. You know that one? No, I have not seen that one. And I'm going to mention just how much this, this lettering, like you see it in Chester Brown. Like this yeah. is stuff that has this legacy through generations yes. and generations of cartoonists. Right, right, right. Yeah, the, people say, well, you know, those old fonts. And, and by the way, there was no, I can guarantee you, there was no font book. No, that, that that they got this from, all right? Yeah, yeah. This is this is a guy I mean, with a big toolbox. Robert Crumb, you'd see some some lettering yes. of that. So. Right. Yeah. So there was a lot of that stuff that 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 the car, that the comic people were absorbing. All right, and then uh, he also did commercial work. So here is our two um, programs for the New York Hippodrome. The New York Hippodrome was a, basically a circus that people would go to on a regular basis. And here are photos. You know, here are all the stars that were in there, um, Lou Fields, all the all the old vaudevillians, um, photos of the stage stuff, advertisements, and then these are two, I think this is 1906, 19, let me see, uh, real quick. Uh, this is 1909 to 1910 season, 
and this one is 1908 to 1909 and by the way these show up so you, you can find these at very reasonable prices they're not they're not this one's rarer but this one this one does show up you know why they're built for it souvenir books people yes right save these things you know yeah, I mean, people it, would it, there's save, a difference right. you know some of right. this stuff is just throwaway and right it gets hard to find a century later but yeah so uh so he he did this um when we get into political cartoons uh, you know the, he did a couple of other advertising pieces that, that will also show but while he was doing dreams of the rare bird fiend and little nemo he was also doing little sammy sneeze and so and by the way this was so popular there's an edition in french wow okay so it was printed over there clear line yeah man <laughs> I, l I love this page. Wouldn't that be interesting if this like established the clear line? It, 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 it looks like it. Right? Yeah, it does. Right? <laughs> how popular? How well did it sell over there? That's true. Um, so, uh, but look, look at the printing on this, and, and look at the way they cr he crackled all of this in anticipation sure. of the sneeze. And I'm looking at this uh, this hand lettering also. Yes, all hand lettered. It's remarkable how fine these lines are. Yeah. Like the cracks in the logo, those lines, they're so fine. You know, like this is stuff yeah. that comic books would avoid for decades because of the right. terrible printing and reproduction and right. you've got this in 1905 right is that what yeah there it is 1905 so he never knew when it was coming and so this is a a nice and these are also printer proofs just look at the colors and blacks on these and so the the, the conceit here is that um little sammy sneeze would sneeze at the most inopportune times <laughs> That's a funny concept to build a whole strip around a concept know, like, like that. <laughs> you know, you, like you have to have the sneeze jokes in, in mind twenty four seven, or or uh, a sibling with really bad allergies or something growing up. Yeah. So we're blowing the camera. You know, it's also kind of like post Victorian, where there's like all sorts of like new rules of decorum being established, and you know, Emily Post type shit is out there in the universe. So like it's like blows the people off their, off their It's fun skate. when you see him playing with figures too. You He's know, because some of this stuff artist. is relatively static, but it just sets up for well, even in the background, you gotta have the guy almost wiping out on ice skates. Uh oh. Uh, but it's very animated. I love it's destroying the poker game. Ooh. And and by the way, look at the black. Oh yeah. Yeah, okay. that's the, about the flattest black we've seen. Shooting pool. Because there's actually a very famous one in here that I, w I want to be able to get to, and I don't, I, I didn't mark it beforehand. This feels so much like the template for <laughs> a century of comic strips. You know, you see these backgrounds repeated. Yeah, exactly. And you know, once again, the, this this was the the racist view of the world. Um, that's not what I was laughing at. Yeah, I, right. Wait, no, like no. I had to say that because of the fucking <laughs> yeah. vultures that are out there. I'm right. just laughing because that does not look like a, 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 some result of some sneeze. Yes, right. Exactly. It's something else. Nudity happened. here on the comics page. Well, but but also th think about that. Think about how many people would get upset today showing a naked child. All right, which and back in the 30s and 40s, you would see them in print ads all the time. Yeah, okay. I feel like kids would run around naked in, in the past. It's a yeah. weird thing to say, but man, the reflection on the water is awesome, especially mm. the yellow sky on the water. Yeah, this. Oh man, here's a nice one. In fact, th this one was used. I think it was Peter Cooper did an anti-Trump cartoon based on this Sammy sneeze. 
and they, they, they did a print of it, and I bought, I bought the print. It's a deep so print. The, so the, this was Donald Trump, and I think this was the United States or something like that. So anyway, he, he, Peter Cooper did a great job on it. I'm surprised by the formulaic approach of these things. You know, panel five is always your sneeze. Yes. You know, yeah, it yeah. feels like, like I said, it feels like decades later, this is what the comic strip sort of turns into, but doing it that early... Look at this. This is great. So it's clear his, he's got a sneeze coming on. The the kids are like, oh my God, he's going to sneeze. We're getting out of here. And the teacher's like, children, hush. Children, 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 be seated, be seated. And the children are like, no. <laughs> fire drill, anything, the trouble, fire anywhere, accident? No, nothing wrong. The children became a little panicky, so we ordered the fire drill. Thanks. Well, it's just him sneezing. Oh, go back. Spatter. Go back one now. Yeah, let's check this one out. Look at this panel. Yeah. Wow. And it's so we, much fun to see him experiment visually. Yeah, it's an ash can. Yep. It says it says here for ashes only. Yeah. Duh. <laughs> and of course, our little sneezer. And, he, and he's getting uh, yeah, kick, kick. little child abuse. <laughs> well, there was a lot and of and that. It's, back and it's strangers. <laughs> Maybe it is. Parents were okay with that shit back in the day too, man. I remember, like, I was acting a fool, and this lady who knew my dad like grabbed me off the street, walked me home. And my dad said, you ever see him act up, act up again, you can put your foot in his ass. He gave her permission. Let me see. No, I, I guess it's not in here. All right. I thought the one where he sneezed and the panels broke was was mm. in this was in this compendium, but it's not. Cool. That's, a, that's the other thing that happens. A lot of these do end with him getting a uh, kick in the pants. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, you think about Buster Brown or any of the others, and it was it was the same kind of thing. So... Okay. No, it's not in here. I thought it was. Anyway, it, little Sammy sneeze. It sort of lets you know who the audience is. It like cause it's not the kids. No, 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 no. You know, Definitely it's, not it's the, the kids. It's, it's the catharsis of the parents. Like yeah, yeah. That's um, right. Got to learn little Sammy sneeze. And just think about whoever it was that. The. I see a little dude walking around with that. I think I would want to kick him. <laughs> yes. <laughs> McKay uh, did all of this cartoon stuff, but then by 1914, 1915. He started to work for the Hearst Papers, and they got him to do political cartoons with Arthur Brisbane. That's a thing, right? There would be bidding wars between uh, the, the the sort of newspaper publishers yes. uh, on the people who made the strips. Like, the strips were a sales mechanism right. for these newspapers. Right. And so he went from the Herald over to the Hearst Papers, and then somehow he was convinced to go ahead and just do the political cartoon stuff. Although, while doing the political cartoon stuff, this is a little later... In the teens, he did all of his animation stuff, which we'll get into in a second. So I just wanted to show everybody a couple of examples of his political cartoon abilities. And here he revisits uh, Gertie the Dinosaur, and this is 1920. Yeah, another, another thing worth noting is that Winsor McKay was a pioneer in animation. Yes. What a stunning piece this is. You get all your hatching, but also that heavier outline. Mm -hmm. Incredible. Yeah, he, he with a pen and ink. Oh my goodness! Yeah, this this is one of my faves. This is basically the uh, sea of whiskey <laughs> that is uh, overwhelming prohibition. This is your proto Karen, right? The the ladies that push prohibition forward and stuff. Yes. And then you got your uh, your black marketeers. And and it's a tour de force because actually what they did was is they would have ships off the coast and like fishermen would go out to these to these ships and bring the stuff into let's say Gloucester Massachusetts or wherever it may be and so it was kind of tough to you know and they could hide they could put fish on top of it if they wanted so when they had um uh they called yeah they called them rum runners 
where they would go ahead and just go up to Canada, go up to Canada and stuff like that. So th this to me is a tour de force political cartoon of any kind. There's there's a lot to it too. There's class in here because like the bootlegger guy looks like the fat cat, but yes. then you got your West Virginia yep. like potato buy-in moonshiner. Right. Right. We and used to get moonshine at my house because I, I grew up in the sticks. Yeah. And it would show up in the morning, like a Sunday morning, you'd have your, your mason jar of moonshine <laughs> and you would light it to see its purity. Yeah. And the color of the flame oh, is how you would determine the purity. My of it. my my grandmother uh on my dad's side was orphaned because uh her her parents uh got maybe too pure a, a glass of that stuff. I, it's funny, I look at this and I think, like, I want to imagine these guys as old men talking about, like, the next generation, like, the drug, people that are doing drugs yeah, and right. a generation later, like, the kids have it so easy now. We were doing <laughs> we were doing kegs and they had these little bags of powder. When you when you watch uh, stuff like Boardwalk Empire and you see people shooting each other over beer, yes, uh, right. it, 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 it's very appropriate for this sort of the times we live in and just how quaint it is this well, is a spectacular illustration you know i don't want to bury the lead on that just doing like the wave mm -hmm. you know drawing that wave in crosshatch phenomenal yeah you yeah. gotta figure that out you know? well and then also the, the you know the concept of this this overwhelming tidal wave of booze okay in all of its forms so there are there are beer bottles there are whiskey bottles there are there are cases there are mm -hmm. kegs um, it's like I said, it's, it's, and I don't, I don't think this one's been reprinted. Probably like those, uh, you know, new, New Jersey beaches with the, with the biomedical <laughs> waste and stuff. Like oh, exactly. maybe, maybe this yeah. was the old days, like where it's just like beer bottles all over. It's the, such uh, a great cartoon too. You know, you see prohibition is hopeless. She's trying to sweep that back out. Yeah. It's just how long did prohibition last? Do you uh, Franklin Roosevelt came in in 1932 and got rid of it. Well, I shouldn't say Franklin Roosevelt got rid of it. The states voted to get rid of it. So it had to be, because it was a constitutional amendment, it had to go back through the state legislatures again to repeal it. So, yeah, so, yeah, the total hopelessness of, <laughs> yeah, so, and, and th this one I got, because th this to me is a tour de force of his architectural draftsmanship. There's there's more to this also, like, this is perhaps some kind of screen or, or, or something, and these original drawings are are huge yes, ridiculous yeah. joe, joe kubert had some of these in uh yeah in, so they, they were like about this big okay they, yeah that, that was about the size of them so they, they were about twice this size yeah so like they don't print screens that big like you have to figure out how to finagle and, and well and, and also notice the capitalist message that's being transferred here so here's the worker he's like la-di-dom having a great time okay you know no problems with the worker and then the poor factory owner is you know is the one with the burden and by the way in 1927 it was the other fucking way around sure yeah okay yeah, once again, we talked about the guys on the printing presses that didn't have all their fingers. Exactly. I, I bet the guy who owned the presses. Well, how about this? The, the guys who did the hot lead typesetting with all the lead poisoning that they got? Yeah, I, I was looking at this and I was wondering if it's like linotype. Yeah, yeah, no, this would have all been linotype. There would have been some guy down in the room with, with these hot lead slugs, okay, typing <laughs> this thing away. They, uh, they called it the squirt or something yes. there's like a term for uh -huh. it and, yeah. and these guys would get molten metal on their knee and shit like that oh yeah it was it was, <laughs> it was unbelievable so anyhow for for you know this this was like a supremely capitalist message all right you, you workers you got it easy no i don't think so <laughs> so this is one that uh from the automobile show in 1932 january 1932 and i found this i bought a house row house in baltimore i went upstairs to the 
bedroom, and they had like three layers of linoleum, and under the third layer of linoleum, this was there. That's insane. You always hear those stories. Okay. And I've never seen it before. I've never seen it since. It's never been reprinted anywhere. And this is... So at this point, McKay was... 63, 64, 65 years old. Right. You could talk. Um, and l look at his, look at the facility. I mean, just look at what he was able to do in his 60s. Yeah. Yeah, it's beautiful. It's a breathtaking illustration. It's, it's unbelievable. I mean, of course, who puts stars in the window wells of their cars? Okay. Yeah, I was looking at, you know, like the, the, the smoke hatch yes. in the background fading out. It reminds me of like a Bernie Wrights and Frankenstein or something. Gerhard comes to mind, like some of the lettering and the hatching on the lettering. It's just, it's, it's everything for yeah, pen it's and a, ink. It's like, that's that's all you need right there. It's a, it's a tour de force piece. Like I said, I've never seen it before. I've never seen it since. It's never been reprinted. And, and like these roses that are just like these hatched lines, these quick, quick yeah. pen strokes. Well, and then, but then also the concept of all of the foliage and just the way he designed all the foliage moving forward, these these little designs in the steps. Oh yeah, it, just the whole thing. It's it's un, it's it's an unbelievable piece. I'm lucky to have it. Like I said, it's just one of those things where it was sheer luck because there it was yeah, under linoleum. Yeah. Let's let's close the vid out real quick with uh, some, right. some some ad work. Yep. So we have a couple of ads here. So this first ad uh, was done for a soap company. And uh, for health and wellness, use soap and water. Because they were trying to get people, you know, the marketers. Move it up. Yeah. There we go. So, so the marketers were trying to go ahead and get people to buy more soap. And so for health and wellness, use soap and water. And it's that a novel idea. Novel idea, exactly. Well, I, I think we still have it, though, right? Isn't this yeah, still well, a message we've been trying <laughs> to get out the last couple of years? There, there, there is that. And then the the most famous ad campaign he did was for Lucky Strike cigarettes. And yes. so there was a series let's, of black and white ads. Push this. Yeah. Up. There we go. You know what's great right here, man? The it's toasted. That's episode one of uh, of Mad Men. And uh, so there must have been. 25 maybe 30 of these different ads look at these happy folk man well it says here now, now mind you that you've got to really think about what they're saying here that brutal overseer roasts in hades okay an ancient prejudice has been removed it says wise legislation has halted the ancient prejudice that dictated the exploitation of child labor for selfish gain guided by american intelligence that has routed greed no longer are little children forced into slavery so what they're telling you is is that you have to use the same intellect that got rid of child slavery to smoke a cigarette <laughs> because and uh, toasting did it gone is that ancient prejudice against cigarettes so so think about the mental leap they're asking you to take to equate getting rid of child labor and smoking cigarettes it's amazing and every one of these ads is different also by the way the anachronism of Mad Men which takes place from like 1959 forward this is a 1929 paper I yeah. believe and uh, the It's Toasted thing was already well established before Jack Ham came up with that brilliant idea yep. uh, in, in the office there, which is worth noting. And also just where we're uh, filming this, this is not far from, from Homestead, Pennsylvania, where Andrew Carnegie had his steel plants. Oh, okay. And uh, the house that I lived in and everybody who lived up on the hill, their kids who worked in the, uh, the steel mills uh, down at the waterfront, they would often uh, 
round up the kids in one go, almost in a school bus fashion, but they would put them in boxes. They would put the kids in like little crates to just like stack on top of each other and just drive down the hill. You know, it's just 10 blocks or something like that. <laughs> You're not in this box for too long, but it was at that level wow. where, you, where you didn't even get, you know, a chair in a car. They just ground <laughs> up a whole bunch of kids. Um, and, and this one, by the way, it says, Anger and fear greeted the faltering efforts of the first automobile, but the hands of American intelligence guided the steering wheel and controlled the throttle. The automobile drove on to glorious success. So, again, the innovation of cars and automobiles and the innovation of smoking Lucky Strike cigarettes. The good stuff, man. And and this is not uh, pen and ink line work. This man no. is us using using paints for, yep. for this piece. And, and there were a number of... Uh, this is the only one that I have in my collection, but I've seen more than one of these in color. Like I said, I've seen... Well, it's probably two dozen of these at least. And these, I mean, these probably paid ten times what the, the strips got. Him. I wonder, like, he's signing his name on these things... You know, is is this almost celebrity endorsement that That's you have Windsor McKay as your advertising? Feels like it, right? Guy. No, I, I I don't think I, he did these. He actually he actually drew them. I no, mean, no, 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 no. I'm not saying that. I'm saying like oh, 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 yeah, Michael yeah. Jordan. Well, you know, with shoes. When you get like a guy like is Windsor McKay known to the public at this point where it's like oh wow you know this this guy's little Nemo's here yeah, yeah like well, like it's Fred Flintstone. Well, at at this point in the late 1920s, he would have been known from the Hearst political cartoons because by this point it already went through two iterations of Little Nemo, and that 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 was gone by 1926 mm -hmm. or something like that. So yes, because also at this time other cartoonists had gotten promotional stuff. So the so the cartoonist not as just an illustrator, but the cartoonist as a personality, had started also in the 19 teens and 20s. Okay. No, this is uh, uh, so. This is it. Great, uh, great survey. Uh, just want everyone to understand Windsor McKay. See what he did. Understand Little Nemo. Um, it, we we could most probably do like just another show just on like four little Nemo pages. Oh yeah. May, you know maybe I'll come back and we'll do that whole sequence of walking through the. That'd be a good. Okay. That'd be a good yes, video. Yes. Yeah, so, so we we can do that. Warren, thank you so much. Yeah, I'm for, so excited to have an overview of Windsor McKay on this channel. With all of this extremely rare material, man, it's it's a sight to behold and and and, and very inspiring. Warren, do you want to point uh, people into any direction? Uh, do you have anything that you're promoting right now? Well, yes, Small Press Expo is coming up uh, September seventeenth, uh, September seventeenth and eighteenth in uh, Bethesda, Maryland. Uh, SmallPressExpo.com. I'm the executive director, and along along with being a erstwhile comics historian, so come on out. All right, man. Kayfabers, like, follow, subscribe to the YouTube channel. Hit the bell. We'll notify you when new vids are available. What's out there, Jim? Hulk Grand Design. Come into your local comic shop this month and next. If you haven't already reserved it, tell your comic shop owner that you want a copy. And uh, follow me on patreon.com slash jimrug. Red Room Trigger Warnings. Issue number one is out in the wild. That means issue two can't be but four weeks away from uh, from the release of that issue. Murder on the Dark Web for Fun and Profit. See, Jimmy, we're taking it to a vulgar place now. Like We, we, <laughs> we, we abused the, what, what, uh, what Windsor McKay established in the early 1900s to, uh, to gory benefits. Uh, you can read these comics before they hit paper on my Patreon. All these links are in the link tree in the description below this video to order, pre-order, hit the Patreon, all that. What else, Jim? Subscribe to the Cartoonist Kayfabe e-newsletter, also in the links below this video. And you can find Cartoonist Kayfabe t-shirts and merchandise in the links below this video. That's another great way to support the Cartoonist Kayfabe channel. Jimmy, give them the marching orders. We'll be on our way. Make more comics.